Well, hello, everyone. My name is JB with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you for joining us this morning. It is Thursday, August the 10th, 2023. And uh, so delighted to have Dr. Nathan Jones back with us from Lamb and Lion Ministries to continue our discussion of the Mighty Angels of Revelation, which is uh, based on his book, on the subject in which he traces through the entire book of Revelation uh, the presence of angels and the role that angels play and and really serves in general as an angelology of sorts. And so we'll bring him on here in just a moment. Can't wait to uh, to talk with him some more about uh, about that book. Uh, but before we begin, just a couple of quick announcements as we're winding down the week. Uh, we've had some great uh, resources available this week. I hope you've had a chance to check some of them out. Uh, we started out on Monday with episode five of Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions. And then on Tuesday morning, we did a, a, an appearance on the Christian Underground News Network in which I talked about things that can never undo the believer's salvation. And that, as I've mentioned a couple of times the last couple of days, that has gotten some great traction and generated some, some great follow-up questions, which we will get to in a future uh, podcast on uh, Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions. But uh, keep the questions coming. But I encourage everybody to go back and listen to that because it's really vital for the believer's understanding of grace to recognize that we can't draw any lines, that it's not like our eternal life comes with an asterisk, and if we uh, do this or that, somehow that means we were never saved to begin with. Uh, God's grace is sufficient, and uh, so although there are certainly uh, very serious and significant consequences for sin in the life of a believer, uh, as I've talked about in some of my other books, like Freely by His Grace, uh, that does not mean that uh, we can invalidate or somehow undo our salvation. And so check that one out from Tuesday. Tuesday night was Prophecy Night. We had a dedicated Q&A. We talked uh, about a lot of great uh, subjects. We talked about the Nephilim. We talked about uh, the gap theory from Genesis and why I do not believe that's accurate. Wednesday was, uh, yesterday was a World Events Update with Randy. Uh, as always, one of our favorite podcasts uh, of the week. I hope you'll take a chance, uh, take a time to li uh, listen to that one. And then uh, we close out the week tomorrow with my uh, friend, colleague, and technologist Shane, who'll be talking about the double-edged sword of technology and tyranny. And uh, can't wait to get an update from him on all things AI. Chat GPT, Google's Bard, all kinds of technological advancements and how they might play a role in the coming uh, end times. And then uh, Saturday, we'll have our fourth installment of our limited series on preparedness. And uh, we're going to be talking with Randy about how to prepare for a natural disaster. And I can think of no one better to address that subject than Randy. He's uh, spent years as an EMT. Uh, he also has many other sources and a, and a great wealth of knowledge. So check that out Saturday morning. But as we uh, turn our attention now to angels, before I bring uh, Nathan on, let me just uh, mention a passage of Scripture from the book of Daniel. You know, Daniel is such a key book for understanding the end times, and yet it also has some great uh, historical accounts that really build our faith. And, you know, any children's Bible will often have at least a couple of stories from Daniel's uh, short pro prophetic book, because it's they're, they're so profound. And one of those is the story about Daniel and how he was saved when he had been thrown into the den of lions. And uh, when the king asked him how he survived, his answer is profound. He says, my God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so they 
so that they have not hurt me. Uh, that's really interesting. I mean, we we often all know the story of how Daniel was uh, protected in uh, the lion's den, but I wonder if we remember that it was an angel that God used in that situation uh, to shut the lion's mouth. I wonder what that lion thought. I mean, he was trying to open his mouth, and it felt like some unseen, uh, you know, agent of some kind had clasped their hands around his, his mouth, and he wasn't able to open it. And the Bible tells us that was an angel. So angels play a key role uh, throughout the cosmic battle between God and Satan. We've got fallen angels and evil spirits, and of course, we've got God's angels. And, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Nathan Jones has done a fantastic job of really diving into that subject and from a, a thoroughly biblical point of view, uh, addressing it. So Nathan, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Dr. Hickson. So good to be back. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. So um, great book. Uh, folks can get it uh, at Amazon or where else can they find uh, your book? They can go to our website at ChristinProphecy.org. Uh, we have an online store. Of course, it's on Amazon. We've got it both in print and ebooks and uh, pretty much every ebook, major ebook platform out there. My <laughs> wife serves in the media ministry and she gets all our ministries books here at Lamb and Lion Ministries up there. And She's quite the whiz at uh, figuring out Amazon. So yes, uh, I highly recommend, I think you get a better deal through Amazon anyway, price-wise. But if you want to uh, support the ministry, then uh, uh, please go ahead, go through ChristinProphecy.org. Great. Yeah, ChristinProphecy.org, Lamb and Lion Ministries. Uh, most folks know uh, Dave Reagan, uh, the founder, and uh, now, of course, you and and uh, Tim uh, uh, Jones, oh. right? Tim Moore, yes. Moore, I'm sorry, Tim Moore uh, are kind of uh, at the helm there, and I appreciate uh, all that you guys do. Uh, tell Tim hello for me, by the way. And uh, sure. so, uh, yeah, Amazon.com. But the name of the book is The Mighty Angels of Revelation. And I'm going to kind of just throw it to you now. Give us a quick review of what we talked about the last time you were on the program, and which is sort of a summary of, of, of where we're at in the book so far. And then pick it up where we left off as you talk about The Mighty Angels of Revelation. Okay. Well, JB, thank you so much again for having me on. I'm so glad to hear that you folks enjoyed our conversation about uh, the angels that can be found in the book of Revelation. And uh, I'm back again to try to finish that up for you. It's kind of hard when there's 73 angels that I was at least able to find. Well, 72. I There's a bonus one. We'll talk about that in the end. But uh, uh, just to give you a little background is that uh, many years ago, my parents got in this very serious car accident. And uh, my mother was pinned uh, into the car. My father was unconscious in the street. And a motorcyclist pulled up and rescued them. But he did some kind of amazing things like rip a car door off and and uh, just kind of disappeared when the crews were there. And my father gained conscious. He wanted to thank, have the paramedic thank the biker for rescuing. And nobody, the cops, the paramedic, nobody remembered there ever being a biker there except my father. Now he says, you know, he was kind of <laughs> almost in a coma there. So maybe he was uh, seeing through spiritual eyes. But to this day, he was sure that it was an angel who rescued him. And I remember uh, him telling me at the time, and I was doubtful. I'm like, angels? Well, you know, angels are in the Old Testament. They were busy or, you know, they, they kind of are in the New Testament here or there. But for the most part, you know, that God uses the church now. And I was really skeptical. And 
I have a podcast with a buddy of mine, uh, Pastor Vic Batista. It's called The Truth Will Set You Free, and we have that every Wednesday. And uh, he, I said, well, you know, I don't know why I'm kind of doubting this, because there are angels in the Bible. Matter of fact, there's 108 references in the Old Testament and 176 in the New Testament. So 284 <laughs> references in the Bible. Why am I skeptical? And he says, you know, the book of Revelation has more references to angels than any other book in the Bible. Why don't we pick up our next series, teaching verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and we'll note the angels as we go through. So we did that for about a year. We taught through the book of Revelation, and we ended up with 72 angels or groups of angels that we discovered. So this was pretty, I just blew my mind. So we we blogged the series, and then Dr. Reagan said, hey, you know, why don't you put it into a book? I think people would find that interesting. And well, <laughs> sure enough, people have found that interesting. I don't think we really understand angels very well. After all, we grow up uh, reading Americana type books, 1950s illustration, you know, angels are all white guys with blonde curly hair and they're wearing robes. They have stork-like wings and a halo over their head. And we just assume that all angels are like that. But uh, JB, as I went through the book of Revelation and read so many different varieties, I mean, they're as varied as the animal kingdom is here. So it was very uh, interesting and it helped restore my faith that God, yes, he does use the church this day and age to proclaim the gospel. But in the background, working hard are angels of all sorts, serving them as messengers and guardians, rescuers, warriors, worshipers, evangelists, enforcers, servants, and even executioners. Yeah, and let me let me just mention it's interesting when you we talk about the number of uh, usages of angel in Scripture and how heavily weighted it is uh, toward you know in in the Book of Revelation and and as I talk about in my Spirit of the Antichrist books, I believe that's because the closer we get to the end of the age, the more active the spiritual realm, uh, the unseen realm, is going to become, both in terms of the demonic realm and the angelic realm. So it really shouldn't surprise us, should it, that the Book of Revelation has so much to say about angels, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, Revelation being apocalypsis or the apocalypse, you can find that 18 times in the Bible, and it means to unveil. Mm -hmm. So, of course, if Revelation is unveiling the spiritual world behind us, the God's plan to redeem Israel, to redeem a, a remnant of the Jewish people, as well as many Gentile tribulation saints. And so as he pulls back the veil, we are can see behind the scenes, so to speak, uh, kind of make it a comparison to Disney World. You know, I, I don't enjoy going to Disney World or Universal Studios or any of those theme parks for the shows and the rides. I like the behind the scenes. So uh, this past uh, year when we were at the Prophecy Watchers Conference, I spent a day over at Universal Studios and I went to the uh, Jason Bourne Stuntacular mm. and it just blew my mind. So, so I, I ran outside, I went back in and I stood in line again and I went in the second time and the second time I went in because I wanted to see how they did it. Like, oh, that's that's not one guy playing Jason Bourne. There's like four of them and they come out in different areas or, or you know, how does it work? How do the lifts work under the stage? You know, I just I love the behind the scenes of movies too. So likewise, Revelation really appealed to me because we get the behind the scenes view of the stuntacular that God has planned for the tribulation, the millennial kingdom, and then on into the eternal state. Amen. Well said. Yeah, Jason Bourne. I mean, that's one of my favorite series. In fact, we just watched it again uh, oh, okay. as a family. The this, this the series. Uh, 
because it's so snatched from the headlines. It's, uh, you know, it deals with a lot of the stuff I deal with in my books in terms of uh, MK Ultra and the assassinate, you know, uh, uh, trained assassins and things like that. But uh, yeah, that's a great analogy that the, the book of Revelation really is kind of not only the revelation of Jesus Christ, who comes back to take the long awaited throne and rule uh, in perfect peace and righteousness, but it's really the unveiling of of everything that's been happening behind the scenes in this final lead up to uh, uh, to the battle. So uh, you know, to the end of the age. So uh, so yeah. So let's uh, let's pick it up. Uh, to, you know where we left off last time. Some of the different angels. You said there's uh, seventy what seventy two, huh? Seventy two that I could find out. Not all of them are angels. Some of them are portrayed as angels. And as we go through and we explored which ones were and were not. But we start at the very beginning with Revelation 1-3, which of all the books in the Bible, folks, do you know that the book of Revelation promises a blessing if you read it? It says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it for the time is near. And there's actually seven total blessings you can find through the book of Revelation in one curse. So you're already starting out being blessed by reading the book of Revelation. And so uh, J.B. and I, we started with John, who's been, he's really old now, you know, he's in his late 90s, he's been exiled to the island of Patmos, and Jesus Christ in, you know, all his, like the transfiguration, you get to see him in all his glory, and he comes and he tells John that he needs to write letters to these seven churches about the things that he's going to witness and he's given the first angel we had was called the revealing angel. He's kind of like his angelic guide through it. So not to rehash all that we covered in the last show, but very quickly, we covered the, the seven spirits, which is actually, I believe, the sevenfold spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. So not an angel. We get uh, addressed the angel of the Lord, which is the pre-incarnate name for Jesus Christ. Even though he's called an angel, he, again, he's not an angel. And then we covered the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And it's debatable whether those are angelic guardians, which I take that side, and others who have written in over the past few weeks since hearing our program are like, well, aren't these pastors? Well, I think yes, and they're addressing both. We also then get to angel number 11, and it's the 24 elders that circle the throne of God. And again, I make the case that I don't believe they're angels, but that they are will be all the believers throughout history rotating through those seats. So one day you might be one of the 24 elders. Pretty exciting. We also address the seraphim, which are the, the four living creatures that stand before the throne of God and worship day and night. The cherubim who carry the throne of God. Uh, we discuss the servant angels, the strong angels, the choir angels, and the ordering of the angels, how they're ordered in a military fashion. We then moved into Revelation 6 through 8, the chapters, and we read about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, who sadly people misinterpret them as angels. They're not. They they represent events that are coming. But we do finally get to angel number 19. It's the four wind angels. They control the weather. So all this talk about man-made global warming and climate change and stuff like that, uh, the Bible makes many cases that the Lord controls the weather, and the weather is getting worse because it's a sign of the end times that points to Christ's soon return. So we shouldn't fear about the weather. We then had the branding angel who came down and branded those who get saved during the tribulation with, uh, I don't know if people can see it or not, but there is a mark on their head to counter the false mark that the Antichrist will later put on his followers. 
We got the angels that circled thrones. And finally, we have the incense angel who stands before the Lord with the altar and the prayers of the saints come up and are like incense to the Lord. Isn't that amazing that our prayers to the Lord, he sees as like incense, a fresh aroma. So mm. JB, that's where we're at. We just covered the seven churches, the throne room and the seal judgments. And now we're ready to pick up at the trumpet judgments, which is Revelation chapters eight through 11. Okay, real quick on that that uh, branding angel. Um, this is just a side note. I'd be curious what your uh, what your thoughts are. Um, obviously, we know from uh, Revelation that no believer in the tribulation, uh, and we're talking about those who get saved after the rapture now, because the church has already been uh, taken uh, away. But no believer during the the, the Antichrist reign of terror will take the mark of the beast. Uh, do you think that's because they've been already sealed? And therefore, perhaps the the Antichrist and false prophet and their beast system, when their cronies go out to try to round people up and they see this person's a, a believer, uh, that uh, maybe they, they will immediately not, they will say, you're not eligible to take the mark of the beast. So they'll try to behead them or track them down because we, we know that ultimately one's eternal destiny is it's not based upon whether or not you take the mark. It's based upon whether or not you have faith, whether you've trusted in Christ and him alone for salvation. So the passages in Revelation are uh, you know, descriptive, not prescriptive. It's not because a person takes the mark of the beast that they end up in hell. It's because they're not a believer. But uh, people have always wondered, you know, why, why wouldn't uh, a, you know, or why is it that a believer cannot take uh, the mark? So any thoughts on that? I think you nailed it. I mean, we see the the beheading of the saints throughout the tribulation time period, uh, especially in the fifth seal judgment. And so uh, we've got just the, the Antichrist would rather kill off those who oppose him than try to recruit them. And it's interesting that it's like a crucible, the tribulation, and it's meant to be like a crucible. It's meant to finally bring people to their knees with a clear decision, Jesus or Satan or Jesus or not, you really could say. Uh, as we go through the book of Revelation, we'll learn about how the Lord will give two witnesses, which will share the gospel uh, from Jerusalem for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. This branding angel in Revelation 7 says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels. And so he seals the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will evangelize throughout the entire tribulation. And we'll even get later to the gospel angel who will bring the uh, eternal gospel message to everybody on the planet. So by the end of the tribulation, everyone will have a choice a clear choice to choose whether or not to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. I would even add that the result of the Gog-Magog War, the result of the Gog-Magog War, which I place after the rapture, but just at, before at the onset of the tribulation, what's the end result? That the whole world knows there's a God. So going into the tribulation is pretty clear. And that's why taking the mark of the beast is so serious because it's a complete rejection of the information they definitely have about Jesus Christ, and it's a loyalty mark to Satan. It's the ultimate act of rebellion. Hence, the Bible says that those who take the mark of the beast don't get saved. But as for the mark that the branding angel puts on the heads of the believers, those who get saved during the tribulation, whether they're visible or not, or only visible to other believers, uh, that's unknown. And brother, I'd like to know, since this is the unveiling, tell me what you think. Do you think the church has a visible mark that only the angelic realm can see on us? 
I do. I, I think that, uh, you know, it's clear in Scripture that you're either a child of wrath, meaning an unbeliever, or you're a child of God. And I think uh, the uh, uh, Satan and his minions can tell when the Spirit of God is permanently indwelling a, a person. And what that looks like in the spirit realm, I mean, who knows? Is it is it a glow? Is it a resonance? Is it just a in, innate uh, awareness? Um, but uh, absolutely, in the same way that the demons... Uh, could they knew when they were in the presence of Jesus, the Son of God? I think they know when they're in the presence of His children. That's that's kind of exciting, and I don't know if it kind of could creep people out or not. But I think it's a wonderful thing to think that even though we can't see it, we're marked. And and there are times where people will come up and say, you know, there's something different about you. Maybe not just because your behavior, but there's a there's an energy or a life or. Or, and, you know, as Christians are called that we're the stench of death to unbelievers, you know, that I agree. I, I think that even though it's clearly set, stated during the tribulation that the tribulation saints have the mark of Christ on them, again, whether it's visible or not, the church age does too. And, and that's kind of comforting to know that, like you said earlier, that we're secure in Christ's hands, that we can never lose our salvation if we're truly saved because yeah. we are marked by him and we are his children, his flock. Yeah, and Paul says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you know, so there we go. again, there's another reference, and I understand that's not explicitly talking about some type of a visible seal like a king would put on a, a scroll. It could just refer to the permanence, because it says you're sealed until the day of redemption, uh, but still, you, you correlate all these passages, and I think you can make a strong case that the devil absolutely knows uh, who's his child and who's a child of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, are you ready to get into the trumpet judgments? We are ready. Let's let's fire away. Okay. So uh we're still in the first half of the tribulation. At least this is where I would time it. We've gone through gone through the first seven seal judgments, which Christ opened. The seventh seal judgment will open the seven trumpet judgments, and the seventh trumpet judgment will open the bowl judgment. So uh they're in order. I do see them as separates, not reiterations of the uh again and again. My early years of Bible study, I used to think that. Now I look back and shake my head. No, they're very different judgments. And the Lord is going to use these angels to pour out his wrath upon the world. And again, not only for judgment of sin, folks, but for the purpose of bringing people to their knees to redemption. Uh, we got I can't stress this enough how the tribulation is, is, is God's crucible to get people to finally make a decision or not. No more apathy, no more good living. You know, it's tough, it's rough, you have to choose. And so the first trumpet judgment we read sounded and hail and fire followed mingled with blood. They were thrown to the earth and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up with it. And it's interesting if we go back to uh, Egypt, where God put the 10 plagues on Egypt, each of those was an attack against different Egyptian gods. It was showing that Yahweh God was superior to all the, the false gods, which were an effort demons. And it's interesting here that God begins to attack the earth. And I wonder, as we're seeing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, JB, is that we're seeing this earth worship religion growing and dominating, and climate activists are, are calling the shots on everything now. If this first trumpet judgment isn't the beginning of God saying, I'm in charge of nature and the way that I made creation, not it's not meant to be worshipped. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a setting of the stage. You know, uh, King Charles III, back when he was Prince Charles, he, he uh, you know, issued this uh, terra carta, he called it, patterned after the Magna Carta. Uh, this was right around the time of the COVID pandemic. And uh, basically what he was saying is the earth has just as much value in God's eyes as humanity. Not in God's eyes. He doesn't believe in God, but uh, that we are mm. equally valuable. And uh, therefore, we should, th there should be this uh, law, uh, you know, because the, the Magna Carta is where we get the foundation for British common law, for uh, the United States Constitution. It's the idea of inalienable God-given rights. And he says, well, we need something similar for the earth. And I think that that's this whole you know, climate change issue, although it is clearly a hoax. I mean, that's really been clear ever since the, the leaked Copenhagen documents. Nevertheless, there are genuine people that really believe it. I mean, scientists have been deceived and they really believe it. And the deception is that, you know, the, that the earth is its own God. And so it does, it, it makes perfect sense that the closer we get to the return of Christ, especially in that final seven year period, God was going to give them a great big reminder of who's really uh, in charge of things. Yeah. My, my wife and I, for a summer uh, vacation this year, went up to Glacier National Park in Montana. It's been on our bucket list. And uh, some of the videos we were watching in preparation for it was about climate change, how Al Gore back in the 90s had declared that that all the glaciers in Glacier National Park will be melted by 2020. Well, 2020 came around and all the glaciers are still there. And so they had to take down all the signs from around all the glaciers that said climate change is going to. So, yeah, folks, it's it's activism. Certainly climate is is out of whack. And it's meant to be because we live in a fallen, sinful world. And the Lord is using climatic weather, especially that terrible situation like in Maui, for instance, with the fires and other places around the world to wake us up, shake us up, say, hey, you know, I love you. I'm real. Come back, repent, return to me. Uh, you're. I want you as my child. So, yes, yes, uh, it's funny how climate activists, they never get it right, do they? No, no, they don't. <laughs> Well, if we move to the second trumpet judgment, it says uh, Revelation 8, 8 through 9, then the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. So here the Lord is putting a judgment on the seas and uh, destroys a third of them, likely a, either a meteor or a comet strikes the earth. Uh, Revelation 8, 10 through 11, is the third trumpet judgment angel and the third angel sounded and a, a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. So here, the Lord uses his angel to, to send down probably, I'd assume, another meteor or whatever it is. And instead of just attacking the salt water, now it's a fresh water. It's our drinking water. Yet the fourth trumpet judgment angel, Revelation 8, 12, a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars. So the third of them were darkened. The third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And uh, it's been speculated all that particulate from the last two disasters would likely put a lot of uh, particles in the atmosphere and start blocking out a light for a third of the day and night. So that makes sense. Uh, but then we get this issue. We, we get a break temporarily from the trumpet judgments angels and we get the vulture angel. This is very interesting. Revelation 813. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So other angels are interjecting to warn people and say, hey, you know, this is bad. I mean, we're talking about a third of the the, the drinking water is destroyed. Well, hey, it's going to get even worse. And 
as we read through the book of Revelation, each of the judgments, I I believe, seems to be getting worse and worse. Uh, and so the Lord has to do these flash forwards here or there where he comforts people. Not so, hey, it's bad, but Jesus is going to win. So just so you know. <laughs> Amen. We get the fifth trumpet judgment. And uh, the fifth trumpet judgment is, is interesting because, uh, like you said, we've got some this is where the demonic world is really opened up for people to see. And um, this is the unveiling. This is the, there are demons who are disembodied spirits who the Lord says goes looking for a host. Uh, They're the ones that tempt us, but there are other ones that have been stored up for a specific time. And these are these locust demons that we're going to be reading from the bottomless pit. Now there's a star angel who comes down and releases them. But Revelation 9, 3 says, Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. So uh, this is just wild. This bottomless pit, likely bottomless pit in Hades, which separates paradise and torments, inside that pit are these demonic-looking creatures. And it's it's wild when we read about them. It says, they look like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads are crowns of something like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was like chariots. They had tails of scorpions. They had stings in their tails. And get this, they they had the power to hurt men for five months, five months, but they couldn't die. And they had a king over them who's another demon not Satan, but uh, Abaddon or Apollyon, the king of the locust demons. So basically, we're talking about here, the near the midpoint of the tribulation, the demonic world is released upon mankind. The, the creatures that fallen man worship are now tormenting them for five months. And you know what's truly sad is even though they're being tormented by these demons, they still reject Jesus Christ. They still rebel against him, and they still protest about the wrath of God being on them. And they continue to practice sorcery and demonic worship. Absolutely insane. Yeah, so uh, some people would say that Apollyon and Abaddon is Satan, and he is called the Prince of Demons, uh, so he's in charge of the demons, but the text doesn't really say, so it could be that it's just some other general or lieutenant in his army. Uh, I take it you, you take him as not Satan? And no, um, because we know that Satan prowls around the earth like a lion seeking whom he can devour, whereas Abaddon comes out of the bottomless pit where he's been kept with the demonic locusts. So yeah, there, there's a they're pretty powerful. They're, they might even be the same class. We know that uh, Satan was a cherub, a, a guardian angel yeah. around the throne of God, and also the worship leader. Before Abaddon's fall, possibly he also was, but he does have seemingly almost as much power as Satan, but he's clearly so it seems subservient to Satan. Yeah, because I mean, we it, know Satan is. Yeah, it, it certainly could be, and I, I know there you're in good company with that. But just to clarify, uh, verse eleven doesn't say that he was in the bottomless pit. It just says that the ones that come out of the bottomless pit have a king over them, uh, and and so uh, you know he's he's kind of in charge. So that's the way some people. Uh, would take it. But we know that Satan later on in Revelation is going to go down to uh, the the bottomless pit. So, I mean, he certainly can come and go from there. But either way, it's it's either one of his top lieutenants or perhaps he himself. Uh, but uh, anyway, con- continue on with what they do. That's that's the uh, 
That's that's a quite a frightening sound. I mean, can you imagine Nathan hearing what sounds like chariots, you know, and 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 looking up and it's this massive, you know, invasion of demonic uh evil spirits. I mean, what a time. Oh, yeah. And it's that's just the beginning. As horrible as the Abaddon and these locust demons, uh the 33rd angel I have is the altar angel in Revelation 9. He's standing by the altar of God. So there's an altar before God, similar to the pattern of the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, and so he he proclaims out. But then we get uh, which is called the four horsemen of the Euphrates, uh, angel group 34, release the four angels who are bound to the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who've been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. So we have these demonic locusts torturing people. And for five months, they got, it's like being stung, but you, you can't die from it. And people beg to die, but they can't die. But then I guess after that five months, it appears that then we get the four horsemen of the Euphrates are released and they go out and they kill a third of mankind. Now, bear in mind that by the middle of the tribulation, half the human population, if you as we read in the second and third seal judgments, are dead. And then on top of that, Revelation 9 and 16, we have the 200 million man army that comes up. It says, now the number of the army was of horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. Now, hmm. you'll have to tell me where you place this, JB, but because this is the middle of the tribulation, I don't equate these with the armies from the east that show up at the end of the tribulation, which we know are led by the kings of the east. Likely it's China, India, all those Asian countries coming against the Antichrist. But because this is at the middle of the tribulation and all this demonic activity, I believe that these 200 million are demons that are also released from the pit to torment people. What do you think? Yeah, so uh, I talk about in my eschatology text, What Lies Ahead, the different views of the timing of the seal, trumpet, and bold judgments, and we certainly can't be dogmatic about it other than that the first seal definitely begins at the beginning of the tribulation. It is the unveiling of the Antichrist. But I've, I put uh, the trumpets in the second half. So I think that the seal judgments take us up to the abomination of desolation. Then you have the trumpet judgments. And then at the very end of the tribulation, literally, in my view, in the final 72 hours or so are the bowl judgments. So I do equate this 200 million with the armies from the east. But Again, we we have to be we have to hold our views with a with a modicum of uh, humility because we can't you know this text doesn't exactly spell it out uh, as clearly as we would like it to. So uh, you're in good company with those who think the trumpet judgments are in the first half. I try to encourage people who dismiss Bible prophecy because you know we have obviously disagreements, and I tell them, well, uh, you got to look at the God's prophetic picture like a hundred piece jigsaw puzzle. We have 75 pieces. I mean, the Bible gives us many, and as events unfold, we learn more and more, and like, ah, that's what's supposed to happen. I mean, whoever thought Israel was going to come back as a nation almost 2,000 years later? So we might not have the 25 puzzle pieces yet until they come, but we can still see the other 75 and get a really good picture of what's happening. So for yeah. those other parts, you know, we're going to disagree because we don't know. But you know what? One day, once these events are passed, we will know. And I think one of the key uh, you know, requirements of a good theologian is to to differentiate, you know, that which is clear 
in Scripture, you know, thus saith the Lord passages, uh, or, or theological synthesis that we can arrive at that is absolutely clear, from those that we say, hey, this is, you know, this is how I see it. So, you know, like in, in my books, I, I on eschatology anyway, I try to say, look, this is the way I would piece it together. Uh, good people disagree on it. For example, you mentioned Gog and Magog. I happen to agree with you that the best... Uh, Evidence is that it happens after the rapture, but before the signing of the covenant. Uh, but you know, good friends and colleagues, like uh, say Dr. Andy Woods and and others, you know, throughout history have put it in, in within the tribulation, uh, in first or second half of the tribulation. They put it even before the rapture, like the Tim LaHaye series does. Although Tim LaHaye himself did not hold that view, I talked to him about it one time. He he definitely believed that the Gog and Magog happened after the rapture, even though the book series uh, and movie series puts it before. So those are the kinds of things where we got to go, you know what, I think this is the way I would connect the dots, but I'm certainly not going to die on that hill. And the location of the um, the trumpets and bowls is one of those. Um, now, I agree with you that I think we can be dogmatic that these are not uh, you know, recapitulations or reiterations the way, you know, amillennialists and, and replacement theologians see it. Uh, I think they are successive, but, you know, we, we don't know exactly, you know, where they where they fall. So, uh, yeah, well said. Yeah, well, we're the Bible silent. We try to be silent, but we can speculate, right? Mm-hmm. But we're not done with the demons because the 36th group is called the Shemera, uh, Revelation 9, 17. And thus I saw the horses in the vision and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions and out of their mouths came fire, smoke and brimstone. So we've got the locust demons. We've got Abaddon. We've got the 200 million man army. We've got the four horsemen and they ride the Shemera. These, these the Shemera is a, a a mixed a animal hybrid mixture. So we got this horse-like, but it's not a horse. It's got all these different animals into it. And they're all demonic. They're all spreading over the entire world and they're all tormenting people. And this, again, I have to say, it just blows my mind, JB, that the people still reject wow. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. They don't call out to Now, some will, of course, there'll be new tribulation saints as the, the years go on. But my goodness, the entire demonic world is released. And there's still people that blame Jesus Christ for it and refuse to repent and return to him. Unbelievable. Yeah, it is unbelievable. And it just shows how desperately wicked the heart of man is, is, as Jeremiah said. And then what is even more astounding to me is even after the return of Christ, when he takes the throne and rules with a rod of iron, and we have an unprecedented time of peace and righteousness and justice, there will eventually be people on the earth during the millennium who they too, even in the best of conditions still, and when they can see Christ, you know, sitting on the throne, giving the state of the world address on Fox News every January, you know, uh, they're still not going to be, you know, willing to recognize him as the solution to their sin problem. And so, yeah, it's just, that's why Jesus so so often says uh, when he talks about this seven-year period, be not deceived, be careful, watch out, don't be deceived. Yeah. And you know, people tend to worship something greater than them. So it, unfortunately, they seem to want to continue to worship the demons throughout because they want to worship the, the head one, Satan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to get a little switch here, and then we get to chapter 10 in the 37th angel is the Colossus angel. And this is one another one of those angels that might be debatable, whether it's Jesus Christ or it's an angel. I, I take the side that it's an angel. It, uh, many people disagree with me on that one, but it says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with the cloud. A rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun. His feet were like pillars.
was a fire and he had a little book open in his hand. Well, we read about the description of Jesus in Revelation 1, and it sounds a lot like that. But this angel comes bearing a book, and he's so large that he stretches over the seas. And so if this is the case, then there is a class of angels, which I call the Colossus class. These are giants among giants. And then it makes you wonder, well, if the Lord has angels that are so big they can step over seas, does he have angels as large as planets? I mean, the size of the universe is so huge. Who's to say that we? he doesn't have angels that are giants? But anyway, we've got a very, very large angel here, which gives a book. And then we have here what's called the, the seven thunders. Uh, when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. And this is one of those mysteries in the Bible where, where John says, oh, what do the seven thunders have to say? And they're like, nope, you're not going to get to know. Seal them up, the Lord says, the voice from heaven. Uh, you're not allowed to know. And, you know, I wonder if we'll ever know. Because, you know, as believers, we'll be up in heaven during the tribulation. We won't be there witnessing it. We'll be celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb with the Lord and going through the judgment of the just and preparing to return with Jesus Christ. So this might always remain a mystery, but who knows? The, there's the seven thunders. There's another measuring angel, number 39, who comes. And then we get to the seventh trumpet judgment, which ends that series of judgments. And, uh, of course, we get a little bit of information about the two witnesses in between then and the great uh, sign of Revelation, which is in chapter 12. Yeah, so let's let's keep on going here for at least for a little while longer and and talk about uh, the uh, the bold judgment or whatever in your list of uh, of these angels uh, you know comes after the ones that are associated with the trumpet judgments. Okay, well, uh, the fifth section of my book is called the Tribulation Villains, and it covers Revelation chapter twelve through fourteen. We're introduced to the red dragon, which is Satan. I mean, it's Satan himself. We read it. We read about the star demons. Um, the archangels, the warrior angels, the escorting angels, the nourishing angels, the two beasts, the heavenly harpists, this gospel angel, which the Lord will send out to bring the gospel around the world. There's the doom angel, the warning angel, the harvest angels, and the fire angels. So, uh, folks, read chapters 12 through 14. You know, we want to get to the bold judgments here, but there are a lot of angelic references in chapters 12 through 14. But this brings us up to Revelation 15. And uh, you'll have to tell me how we're doing on time here. I can go as fast or slow as you like. Yeah, we got about 10 minutes or so. 10 minutes. Okay. So we're going to get to the bold judgment. Now, this is the third series of judgments that the Lord's going to use. And again, the, the strength of these judgments and the destructive capabilities of these judgments vastly increase as we get very close to the end of the tribulation. Uh, I might not put it in the last 72 hours like JB, but I think universally people believe that these judgments are near the end. So we're getting close to the end. Uh, so the first bold judge. So God sends these angels out with the worst of his judgment. Matter of fact, these judgments are so bad that if the Lord didn't stop them at seven, there'd be no earth left and everybody be dead. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And so it's, that's the prelude we got. But then we've got the angels and the first one, of course, pours out loathsome sores on those who've taken the mark of the beast. They turn the seas into blood, which means every living creature, as it says here in verse three, chapter 16, dies Every sea creature dies. The entire biosphere is destroyed mm. by this judgment. Mm. He's going to turn the waters, the fresh waters, into blood, thereby killing almost everything that's alive 
that needs water. We all need water to drink. The sun, and who knows it's from the wars and the destruction, but the, the Earth's atmosphere isn't protecting the Earth anymore, or maybe the, the sun blows and solar flares, but the fourth bowl judgment has men scorched by mm. heat. And yet, as we read in the fifth seal judgment, there's darkness upon the land. So there's heat, but darkness. And uh, I get this very much, JB, this vibe of hell, mm. the darkness, the heat, the torment, uh, the, the thirst, everything about this is very much a description of what hell is like. Not saying this is hell, but this is a taste for those people. Should there be any people left undecided, which blows my mind that there would be anyone left undecided at this point, but this is a taste of hell for them to know. Mm. So it's very different when we get to the sixth seal judgment, excuse me, sixth bowl judgment, and the Lord will dry up the Euphrates River, which goes through Iraq, and the kings of the east will march across and this is where it will get a little later into the story, but the Antichrist has to put down a rebellion of the kings of the East. And this is leads up to Armageddon. We get the seventh bowl uh, judgment, which is the earthquake. So this earthquake is so bad, it makes the earthquake at the beginning of the tribulation, which levels the mountains and moves the islands, seem tame in comparison. This is a tremendous, or it says every island fled away mm. and the mountains were not found. It levels the mountains on the earth. It's so strong. Mm. Wow. I mean, that is just, it's, it really is, is awe, awe inspiring and, and it ought to inspire, uh, you know, real fear. You know, it, it, when it says it is done there in, in Revelation 16, 17, the wrath of God is now essentially complete. And the one who's going to tread the wine press of his wrath and fury is, is going to be coming back in the clouds of, uh, you know, with of heaven with great glory. And um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, just to clarify, you know, my my reference to seventy two hours. That's just a sense. That's certainly not a chapter and verse. But all of these bold judgments are so severe that it just doesn't seem like uh, they can then take place over you know, weeks and months. It's got to be a shorter period of time. Uh, and, and and they also all seem to be associated with, you know, preparation for that future battle of Armageddon. So uh, we're going to have to have you back to kind of take us through the rest of them. And I'm really intrigued. And we'll leave this as a teaser for uh, the next time you're on, but about that that to 73rd angel, you said it's not technically an angel, but it's uh, it's one that you, you mentioned in the book. So uh, yeah, I think the the running theme that we've heard uh, today, folks, from uh, Dr. Nathan Jones, and thank you, by the way, just uh, such a, a a perfect description of this time to come, and and what God leaves us with in His Word, and and the overarching plea of His Word is is come. You know, uh, Revelation twenty two, behold, I am coming quickly. Uh, verse 7, and, you know, verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly. Uh, and that means suddenly, by the way, not soon. Obviously, it's been mm -hmm. 2,000 years since the words of this, uh, you know, passage were, uh, you know, penned. Uh, verse 20, surely I am coming quickly, even so. Come, Lord Jesus. And, you know, the, the Bible tells us, whosoever will, let him come drink of the water of life freely. It's It's a plea that you know, you are a sinner, and you need a Savior, and your sin uh, consigns you to a literal place of torment called hell. And if you die without Christ, if you die without believing in Him, uh, as Jesus says in John 8, 24, uh, you, you know, you'll die in your sins if you haven't believed in Him. And that means that 
that you will pay that you know eternal penalty. And uh, so I'm just uh, I know that most of our listeners are believers, and you're passionate about the end times, and you're passionate about the kinds of things that we talked about today in terms of the unseen realm, demonic and you know good angels and so forth. But uh, inevitably, there are people out there who've never really heard and understood the gospel. You know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that means that for those who are lost and need to be saved, it comes by hearing the word of God. And for those that are already saved, that want to grow up into spiritual maturity, uh, they they also need to hear the word of God. So, um, so if you don't know the Lord today, uh, recognize you're a sinner, you cannot save yourself, and come to Jesus Christ, the one who took your place on the cross, paid the penalty, and is the only one that can give eternal life. So, uh, Nathan, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, can we have you back on again? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got the good part coming up, the Satan's defeat and the millennial ki- second coming and the millennial kingdom. So we got all the angels in the good part, the the happy ending. So yeah, if you want to have me back on, let's have a, a good, happy episode where we get <laughs> Jesus' Christ's victory and through his victory, it's our victory as well. Amen to that. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely need to tell the, the, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. So, uh, well, thanks so much for being with us. And uh, folks, thanks for listening. Don't forget, uh, tomorrow we've got uh, Shane on to talk about the double-edged sword of technology and tyranny. Uh, as always, uh, you can uh, go to notbyworks.org and, and, and avail yourself of a wealth of of information. We've got uh, podcasts and videos going way back. We've got devotionals, articles. Uh, So check that out at notbyworks.org. And uh, don't forget to check out christinprophecy.com, right? Is that Uh, christinprophecy.org? Yes. uh, .org. I'm sorry. Yeah. Christinprophecy.org. That's Lamb and Lion Ministries. And don't forget, pick up The Mighty Angels of Revelation. That's uh, Nathan Jones' book. And I know it'll be a blessing to you and a great book to have in your uh, library. So God bless you, everyone. We look forward to seeing you again soon.